Well, it's great to see you today at the summit. My name is Mel, and I'm, I'm the lead pastor here. I, got a, I was scrolled to this last week because I always say I'm one of the pastors, but I'm, 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 I'm the pastor here. There's a number of pastors, but I'm one of the ones that leads, so I guess I just jumbled and messed all that up. But I'm glad you're here today. Thanks for worshiping with us. Uh, if you're watching online at summittogether.com, I especially want to say thank you for worshiping with us and making the summit a part of your day, wherever you are and however you're joining us. Uh, thank you for worshiping with us. We are in part two of our series called Rewilding. And if you missed last week, we talked about uh, the Sabbath and um, just the importance of the Sabbath in our lives and not just a church attendance, but what would happen if we really rewilded a Sabbath time in our lives back to God? And what if we brought that back in? What would that introduce and how would that bring health into our spiritual life. And really, that's what this series is about. It's about taking spiritual disciplines and reapplying them to our lives, because a lot of us, uh, we're saved, and maybe you're sitting in church, and there are things that, that spiritual disciplines you don't even think about that are, should be an active part of our lives. And so our goal in the series is not to beat anybody over the head and make you feel guilty or make you feel terrible because you're not doing certain things, but help you understand that when you apply some of these spiritual disciplines to your life, you're going to experience a spiritual life like you've never experienced before. You are depriving yourself of some benefits in your relationship with God when you, when you don't have these things as part of your life. And so last week we talked about Sabbath, and this week we're going to be talking about prayer. And uh, if you are interested in Going a little deeper with spiritual disciplines, we do have a resource for you in the bookstore. It's, it's, um, it's called Dis Celebration of Dis Discipline. Sorry, Celebration of Discipline. And then if that title doesn't get you, I don't know what will. Like, who doesn't want to read a book called Celebration of Discipline? Right now, you're like, I got to download this book. You're not even going to the bookstore. You're downloading it on your iPad, your, your smartphone. Uh, but it does not sound very dynamic at all. But I promise, this is a Christian classic. It's a book that will impact you. Uh, and it's got lots of different spiritual disciplines in it beyond the ones that we're talking about and covering in this series. But, uh, but like I said, this is a classic. And we've got several copies in our bookstore if you're interested. Stop by there. We don't make... I was about to say we don't make much money. I don't know that we make any money really off our bookstore, but the point of the bookstore isn't to be a revenue source, it's to be a resource for this congregation. So if you're interested in picking this up, please stop by there, and uh, we've got a few copies in there. Pick that up and take a look and see what uh, Dr. Foster has to say about some of the spiritual disciplines. You know, when we talk about prayer, it's something we think we all know a lot about. Like, I get prayer, right? Because even as children, our parents teach us how to pray, or they talk about prayer, they allude to prayer, you know, and we all know what a, a good prayer looks like, Right? You uh, get your bed ready before you go to sleep, and you're in your pajamas, you, you kneel down beside your bed, you put your hands just so, and you, you say a prayer. And if you can say a prayer in, like, with a British accent, it's even better. Like, God hears your prayer better. And so I don't know if you know that or not, right? And, like, we have this stereotype idea of what prayer should look like or what it should be. And so many times we measure our prayer life against what we perceive the prayer lives of other people to be. And, well, I'm, I, I don't pray like them. Pastor Mel, he must have, he's a giant, a spiritual giant. I could never pray like him, right? And so we, we measure ourselves because we think, man, I don't pray at 5 a.m. before I go to the gym, and, right? Like, none of us do that. And so we feel guilty because we're supposed to pray for an hour every day, and we have this idea. And so what I want to do today is demystify prayer a little bit, talk about what it's not and talk about what it is. And, and really just help you see that it does not have to be some sort of gigantic, scary thing to do. Uh, and so when we look at this, um, let's start by talking about what prayer is not. Is that okay? Okay. Now, um, I can tell you, I didn't, normally when I'm preaching, I don't like, when I'm writing sermons, I don't 
write jokes or funny stories in normally, like I will think of them. And so there are none. Like this sermon has zero funny stories in it because like I don't, I'm not making fun of prayer. So, uh, you know, we're staying away from that. I don't want you to, your pastor to get struck down on stage while he's preaching about prayer. So I didn't write anything in. This might be the least engaging message ever. I don't know. And you can tell me about it later if you want to. So I'm just warning you up front. This is some things that prayer is not. Prayer is not begging, okay? Um, prayer is not begging. It is not us saying, God, I need this, and I need it really bad, and I need it right now. And as a matter of fact, it would have been better if you gave it to me yesterday. So God, give it to me now, now, now. Please, Lord, please, Lord. Please, I got to have it, right? And some of our prayer lives look like that. It's, it's more akin to begging than it is conversational or relational. Um, the Hebrew word... You're going to hear several Hebrew words today, um, and I'm probably going to mispronounce all of them. Uh, tefillah, it's T-E-F-I-L-A-H. It's usually translated as prayer, but a lot of times we interpret that word in, in English as begging. Uh, and sometimes it's not that strong, but that is typically how we interpret that word in the English language. And prayer is not begging. Prayer is not us begging God to do what we want him to do or trying to bend God to our will. That's not what prayer is at all. But sometimes we feel it's that way, especially when our lives are in uh, crisis. When we're doing crisis prayers, those are totally different prayers, right? We, like, we have our normal prayer when life is good, and Lord, I thank you for everything you've done. You are gracious and merciful. And then we have like the emergency prayers, you know? Like you just realized you're overdrawn your bank account, and it's like, dear God, right? Like that's... Like, there's a big difference in those prayers. In, in the emergency crisis prayers, sometimes we can, we can be bent a little toward the, uh, toward the begging. God, I will do whatever you have to. I will, I will go to church every Sunday. I will we'll make deals with God, whatever it is. But God's not in the business of making deals. He's not interested in us begging. And, and let, me, let me put it to you this way. We're going to talk more about relationship in just a minute. Um, how many of you... And we don't have a lot of this in Indiana, it doesn't seem like, but if you go to a major metropolitan area, you get off the highway, you come to, you know, coming down the exit ramp, and there's somebody standing on the corner, and they've got signs, right? And they'll say, Will, you know, hungry, please help, anything's good. I saw a guy one time in Austin, Texas. I stopped at this, at this intersection, and this guy, I mean, he looked like a stereotypical homeless guy, okay? I mean, crazy hair, just gigantic, gnarly beard. Now he looks like he would be on Doug Dynasty. But anyway, he's standing here. And he has this sign, and he said, family killed by ninjas, saving for karate lessons. And I was like, I'm giving this guy money. Like, that's a brilliant sign. And so, so we see people with these signs sometimes. And, and I don't know about you, but there are times that I'm a little bit hesitant to give them some money. Now, that's between you and God, how you work that out on those kind of things. But let me ask you this. What if you pulled off the highway, and you saw your mom standing on the corner there with a sign that said, hungry, please help? Wouldn't you say, Mom, what are you doing? Get in the car. Like, you don't have to do I'm going to help you, right? You wouldn't just give her a quarter, you know, empty out your ashtray, change, and here you go, buddy, you got that. What would you do? You would go all out because this isn't just somebody begging. It is your mom. It is your son. It is your sister. It's your, right? Because there's relationship there. And sometimes we approach God and we say, God, I'm going to beg in my prayer because uh, I need what I need. And what we don't understand is that we're not just beggars. We're not strangers to God. If we are children of God, we have access and authority to, to come to him not as a beggar, but as a child of God. Does that make sense? So what we have to understand is that prayer is not begging. If you are begging God, you're approaching God in a, in, in a way that's incorrect. So prayer isn't begging. Prayer isn't, and I didn't have a better way to put this, but prayer isn't a genie in the bottle. Okay? Sometimes we think, 
Uh, God's my emergency plan. Like, I'm living my life, my life's pretty good, and I don't have to spend too much time with God. But then, when crisis happens, it's like, okay, I'm going to God now. You rub the bottle. You're like, God, come out, and now you got to do what I ask you to do, because I've been to church twice this month, God. So you owe me, right? Like, I even put something in the offering box this week. So God, you owe me. I, I got problems, you got to respond to my problems. And, and that's not how this works either. This is, yeah, you, I'm just going to read it. James 4.3 says, you ask and do not receive. Okay? So he's saying you pray, but you don't get your prayer answered. And it says, because you ask wrongly to spend it on your passions. And sometimes God is part of our life, but he's not God of our life. So when we pray, he doesn't answer our prayers. And then we think there's something wrong with God. But what's really wrong is that God is not Lord of our lives. He's just part of our lives. I'm just, I'm getting all up in your business now, okay? Let me put it to you this way. If you're here and you haven't made God first in your finances, and then you have a financial emergency and you pray, God, bless me, or maybe you don't even have an emergency, maybe just say, God, bless my finances, but you have never, you've never made God a priority in your finances, then what we're saying is, God, I still trust my finances more than I trust you to get me out of issues and problems. I, I, I rely on my finances more than I rely on you. But what I want you to do is bless the thing that I trust more than you. Does that make sense? So when we pray that prayer, what we're really saying is, God, I want you to be complicit in my idolatry. And God will not do it. Because he is not a genie in the bottle. He does not, he does not respond to our beck and call. Let me, let me put it to you this way. Um, some of you are praying... Uh, that God will fix your relationship. Now, if you're married, it's one thing. If you're not married and you're single and you're dating somebody and you're saying, God, um, fix this relationship, let me tell you something. If you know, knew beforehand that you were a Christian and they were unsaved and you started dating this person and you got into a relationship and maybe you were living in an ungodly way in this relationship and you asked God to fix the relationship, it's hard for God to do that. Does that make sense? Because we're asking God to bless something that he didn't want to bless in the first place. So we got to be careful about how we pray because it's not just about saying, God, I've got this need, now you better answer it because you're my genie in a bottle. Because God is not a genie in a bottle and that's not the way prayer is supposed to work. We can't ask God to be complicit in our idolatry. Okay, I'm moving on from there. You'll be happy to know I'm going to preach a message, a series of messages about that in 2015, though. I bet you can't wait for that. I'm not going to tell you when because I want you to come. Um, <laughs> prayer is not unidirectional. See, sometimes we pray, and we'll pray this prayer. We'll say, you know, we'll, we lay down, and we're, God, I pray that you'd bless me. Thank you for this day. pray you'd have your way. You know, bless this. Help me with this. Bless my kids. Do this. Do this. And I pray that you would <clears throat> help me to have a good day at work tomorrow. I pray that you would... <sighs> And so essentially what we've done is we have fired off our needs to God, but then we have not heard anything back, right? Or we'll just say the prayer and God bless and help and do and cover and do all these things. Amen. But we don't leave any space to hear from God. So we'll talk to God, but we won't hear from God. And if you have a relationship like this, if you know people who will talk to you and tell you all about their lives, but they don't ask you about your life, you know how healthy that relationship is, right? Like you don't want to spend time with that person because they don't care about you. Now, I'm not saying God doesn't want to spend time with you because he doesn't care about you because you don't ask him how his day was. God, how was your day today? Like, that's not how that works. But you have to ask yourself, 
Does God hear my prayers if I don't care what he says to me? I don't know that he does. See, I knew you guys would love this. Prayer is not optional. We see in Philippians, we see in Matthew 6, uh, we see throughout the book of Acts that prayer isn't something that's a, you know, something fringy that you might do. Go to church, and then also, if you want to, you can pray some as well. That's not what it's about. It's about us staying in constant relationship with God, and the way we do that is through prayer. It's not optional. And what we have to understand as well is when God gives us direction to do something, it is never for his benefit. God never says, I want you to pray because I'm so needy. I need a whole bunch of people praying to me, and I just, I need it so bad. So please just pray. I'm lonely up here in heaven. Like, that's not how God functions. God's just fine, okay? But what he understands is he's going to give a direction because we need it. We need to pray. We need to be connected to the God of the universe. So he doesn't tell us to do it because he's so needy he needs our prayers. He does it because he knows that we are so needy we need to stay connected with the God of the universe, so he says, you got to do this. This isn't an option. And so sometimes we beat ourselves up and say, it's got to look a certain way. It's got to feel a certain way. And then it's kind of like I said last week with Sabbath. We make it so difficult sometimes that we just don't do it. We say, well, it's got to feel like this or look like this. I got to block out an hour of every day. If I don't do it, then it doesn't count. No, that's not the case at all. What God is more interested in is you being in relationship with him and you staying in contact with him and talking to him just throughout your day not in the King James, not anything special, but just staying in contact with God through prayer. Let me talk to you about, a little bit about what prayer is. Um, there's a Jewish saying, it says, prayer is like breath. It's easier, to do, it's easier to do with it than without it. And sometimes as Christians, praying is, is something that's kind of fringy. Well, I can pray if I need to, but what we have to understand is the way we need to approach prayer is like it's breathing, <laughs> that every single day, we don't even think about breathing, do we? Like, I'm thinking, oh yeah, I gotta breathe today. Like, woo, I gotta remind myself, to-do list. Okay, wake up, breathe. Yeah, still going. Okay, good, right? Like, we don't have to work our way through that. What do we do? It comes naturally because it's in our nature. It's who we are. And as Christians, it needs to be part of our nature to continually be breathing in and out the prayers of the Lord and be praying to him and sharing with him. We'll come back to that in just a minute. Matthew chapter 6, Jesus, this is the Sermon on the Mount. In 2015, we're going to be going through uh, Matthews 5, 6, and 7, just walking through that. And so it's the greatest sermon ever preached. And I'm going to preach a sermon on the greatest sermon ever preached, which I don't know if that's smart or ridiculously stupid. But either way, um, we're going to walk through Matthew, Matthews 5, 6, and 7 in 2015. Uh, so we'll cover that then, but we need to talk about it here. This is a prayer that you've probably heard, that you probably know. Even if you're not a Christian, you've probably said this at some point. This is what it says in Matthew 6, verse 9. This is Jesus talking to his followers. He says, Pray then like this, Our Father in heaven, hallowed be thy name. Your kingdom come, your will be done, on earth as it is in heaven. Give us this day our daily bread, and forgive us our debts, as we also have forgiven our debtors. And lead us not into temptation, but deliver us from evil. So he said, this is how you should pray. And what's happened is uh, high school football teams across America have hijacked this and said, well, we got to pray. So this is what Jesus said, we got to pray, so let's pray it. And it really wasn't meant to be a carbon copy for us just to mimic that prayer, but it was meant to say, hey, here's kind of an outline. Here's kind of a model. If you don't know how to pray, here's some ways you can pray. Here's some ideas for you, okay? And so Jesus kind of lays it out. And, and it's interesting, we won't go through the whole thing line by line and, and work through it in a deep way, but let me just hit this. He says, when you pray, acknowledge God, right? Our Father who is in heaven, hallowed be thy name. I'm going to honor you, God, because you are God and I am not. 
right? So we honor God. He says, your kingdom come, your will be done on earth as it is in heaven. And what he's saying is, he's, this prayer is supposed to say, God, um, not only do I want your will on, on, in heaven, but I want your will on earth. And not just on earth, but in me. I want your will to be fulfilled in my life. So what this prayer is saying, whether we realize it or not, is, God, I want my will to be conformed to your will. You're like, I am never saying that prayer ever again, right? I want my will to look like your will. And that is a tough prayer to pray. We'll come back to that in just a minute. Give us this day our daily bread. Now, I love this because it's not saying give us this day our daily bread. And also, I need this and this and this and this. What is this saying? He's, he's not saying we can't ask for other things. What he's saying is we need to be focused on the things that matter, though. Does that make sense? Some of us spend a lot of our prayer life on things that don't really matter. Um, I was talking to somebody before service today, and they said, Mel, we, man, we need to be praying for the persecuted church in the world. Thousands of people killed in the name of Jesus Christ. There is a wave of anti-Christian um, tendencies through, moving throughout our world, but we find ourselves praying about our lives and our bonuses and our raises and help me with this and bless this and give me this. So yeah, I'm not trying to be condemning because I do the same thing. What we fail to do is pray for the things that matter, and we pray for the things that don't matter at times. I mean... Again, this is for me, not just for you. How many of your neighbors have you prayed that God would reveal himself to? How many um, of your coworkers have you said, God, use me to reach them? And I'm the same way. I need to reach my coworkers, a bunch of sinners. <laughs> I delight in that a little bit, I'm sorry. Give us this day our daily bread. And now, this is, this is huge too. Jesus, Jesus wasn't a sissy. He would just punch people in the gut, basically. And he says, and forgive us our debts as we also have forgiven our debtors. So what he's saying is, um, he's saying, God, in the same manner that we forgive the people around us, that's how I want you to forgive me. And let me ask you this. If, you, if God forgave you in the same way you forgave those around you who hurt you and betrayed you and stabbed you in the back and lied to you and trashed you on social media... How much would God have forgiven you if we prayed this prayer? Then the last verse said, lead us not into temptation, but deliver us from evil. So what he says is he's, he's not saying you have to pray exactly like this. You have to pray these words, but here's some ways you can pray. Here's some ideas. Here's, here's an outline for you to pray. And so, we'll, like I said, we're going to spend a lot of time on this in 2015. Uh, I think we're going to spend an entire week just on the Lord's Prayer. Um, but let me hit a couple of thoughts on what prayer really is and what it's supposed to be. Prayer is supposed to be reflective. It's not just supposed to be us telling God what we need, but it's also supposed to, we're also supposed to take time to reflect on ourselves and on our own hearts when we pray. And you go, well, Mel, how do you do that? And this is how you do it. Because as you pray, we're drawn into a more intimate walk with God. We get to know God more. Um, I, the day I met my wife, I didn't propose to her, Right? I mean, maybe you would have. She was beautiful, and, but I, I wouldn't have done that because I'm not insane. So I, I, what did I do? I, I wanted to get to know her. We spent time together. We went out on a date. We, you know, I bought her dinner, I, all those kind of things. What happened? I, I spent time getting to know her. And I'm sure we did the ridiculously silly things, you know, talking late at night. And, okay, okay, I'm, I'm going to let you go now. Okay, you hang up. Okay, bye. Did you hang up? 
I didn't hang up either. <laughs> okay, okay, for real, we gotta let each other go now. Okay, okay. No, you you hang up first. Okay, okay, bye. Are you there? I am, I am still here too, right? You do silly things like that when you're dating. Why? Because you're getting to know each other. And this is what happens in our relationship with God. We get to know him. And the way we get to know him is by experiencing him. And one of the ways we experience him is just by praying to him, just by spending time with him, not just talking to him, but hearing from him. (laughs) It's reflective, though, because as we get to know him, we get to know ourselves more. Uh, I've said this before, the closer I get to God, it doesn't mean I'm holier. Um, But what happens is I get closer to God and my actual unholiness is revealed more. Does that make sense? Because I I see myself in more stark contrast with God than ever because I take a step closer to him and I get to know him more, but I I really see how how wicked I really am. I get to see how, how, how lost I really am in so many ways, so many areas of my life that need to be redeemed and given to him that I'm, oh my gosh, I thought I was doing better, but I realize now that I've got this area, I've got this attitude, I've got this portion of my life that, that are not submitted to God. So we move a little closer and go, okay, God, I get it, I get it. Take this part too. And we move a little closer and go, oh, okay, I, now I get it. We give him that part too. We move a little closer and we realize how, how much darkness really resides in our heart when we move closer to his light. So as we get closer to him, there should be a reflection on us. We see throughout the Psalms, if you read the book of Psalms, you're going to see over and over and over the psalmist say, search my heart. And what he's saying is, God, take a look at my heart and see where I'm at. But he's also saying, and reveal it to me. Help me see where I'm really at. Help me see what needs to change in my life. Let me see how wicked and depraved I really am. How in desperate need of a savior I really am. Help me see that, God. And that's what we're saying. God, search my heart. Help me see where I'm really at. You know, another of the Hebrew words that's used, to, used for the word prayer is lehitapelel. Um, and it means to pray, but it also means to judge oneself. So as we pray, we're supposed to say, God, help me see myself how I really am. Let me see what's going on in my heart. If there's something that needs to change, let me see that. When people come into my office and, and they're looking for counseling, it's pretty, it's pretty evident when they've been praying about their situation or not. Because if they come in and they're at World War III and, you know, and they're, and if she would just fix that, and he, he is always, da, 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 da. very rarely, but once in a while I'll have a couple come into my office and they'll say something like this. You know what? There's been some things on her end, that, man, but you know what the truth is? Man, this is what's going on with me, and here's where I'm at. And they go, okay, you know what? This guy's not perfect, or this lady's not perfect, but they've been praying about this because God has been revealing some things about them to themselves in prayer. Because if we don't pray about it, it's easy to go on the offensive. It's easy to say it's their fault if they would just fix that, if they'd stop acting like their mother, if they would, you know, all those kind of things. But when we pray, we should be reflecting on ourselves through that prayer, that we should see God's going to reveal us to us. So prayer should be reflective. Prayer should be relational. The verb form of the first word I said, tefillah, is tofel. And it means to join or to attach or to bind together. So this is what happens. When we are in prayer with God, we are literally being bound together. And when it says to bind together, it has this, this, this picture that's painted of, of a piece of pottery that's broken. 
So something that was once whole and is broken and then is restored and put back together. And that is a picture of who we are, that man broke our, severed our relationship with God in the garden. It was broken. And because of prayer, because our relationship with God, it's brought back together and it's mended and made one. And we are one with God through prayer. That when we pray, we, we understand his heart. We understand his character. We understand his purposes for us and for the world when we are joined together in prayer, in relationship. John 15, 7 says, If you abide in me, and this is Jesus talking, and he says, If you abide in me and my words abide in you, ask whatever you wish and it will be done for you. Now, I've heard pastors take this past scripture and hijack it and just make it mean whatever they want it to mean. Hey, you know what? You want a new car? You go out and tell that new car that you, it's yours. Because if you pray it, my words abide in you, Right? And so what we do is we hijack the scripture, and that's not what it means. So if you're, in the, if, you're, if you're in the market for a new car, don't try this, okay? That's not biblical. Don't do it, okay? But what we have to understand, when we have the words of Jesus in us, when they abide or they live in us, what's happened is we are one with God. We understand God's wants and needs and desires. We understand what he values, and his values become our values. His heart becomes our heart. All of a sudden, Mel has moved out of the way because God is showing up. Does that make sense? All of a sudden, I don't value things the same way I did before. I don't love the same things I loved before. And God shows up and changes and shifts that, and it's not a bad thing. It's a great thing because I'm in relationship with him, and he's helping me understand who he is and what he wants. So when it says, my words abide in you, ask whatever you wish and it will be done, what, what happens is our wishes change, and they become the wishes of God. Whereas I, I used to wish for this and this and this, now all of a sudden I go, man, God, I want this and this and this instead. You know, it used to be about me getting what I wanted, but now it's about you getting what you want. And our desires shift as we know God in a more personal way through prayer. 1 John 5 says this in verse 14. It says, and this is the confidence that we have toward him, that if we ask anything according to his will, he hears us. And if we know that he hears us in whatever we ask, we know that we have the request that, he, that we have asked of him. So what's the saying? According, if, if we ask anything according to his will... It's ours. But where we stop sometimes is that phrase, according to his will. I had a lady in my last church. Um, she had been single for a long time. And <laughs> she came to me. She was so excited. She had met a guy. And oh, I was so happy for this lady. And we were talking. And tell me about this guy. How'd you meet? Well, it was an old, old boyfriend from high school. We met on Facebook. We reconnected. And God just brought him into my life. And I know it's God's will for my life. And as we were talking, she, she mentioned um, that, he, that he's married. <laughs> let, me, let me stop you. And I said, like, I'm not trying to be a jerk, but if he's married to another woman, he's probably not God's will for your life, right? <laughs> like... Um, you, you probably don't even need to pray about it. It's probably not even something you need to ask God. Lord, reveal yourself to me. Like, he's married to another woman. So this is something that you don't have to ask. Like, reveal this to me, God. This is something that you can just say, this isn't God's will for my life. So you can pray for it if you want to. But God's not going to hear it because it's not his will. Period. And so many times we pray for things that are contrary to the will of God. 
And we say, God, I want this, or help me get here, or allow this to happen in my life. And we go, that's not God's will for your life. Maybe it's not even something that's blatantly sinful. Maybe it's just something that's not wise. Maybe it's just something in your life that if you had it or if you achieved it or if you were in that place or in that role, it would be unhealthy for you and your family. But yet we hold on to those things and we pray for things that are, that are contrary to the will of God because we want them. What we have to do, and I've said this before, we have to stop saying, God, bless what I'm doing and start saying, God, how can I do what you're blessing? How can I be a part of your purposes and plans? God, Empty me of me and help me be full of you so that I can do what you're wanting to do, so I can be a part of your purpose and plan. If we ask anything according to his will, he hears us. So, prayer is reflective, it's relational, and this is the last one, it's perpetual. I read a verse last week, um, and it says, well, actually, it was a couple weeks ago. Um, it says in 1 Thessalonians chapter 5, verse 16 through 18, it says, Rejoice always, pray without ceasing, give thanks in all circumstances, for this is the will of God in Christ Jesus for you. Verse 17 says, Pray without ceasing. And that seems like we would have this ongoing you know, prayer, prayer party going on here at the church. We got a room that all it is is prayer 24 hours a day, seven days a week. That's what that verse means. But that's not what it means. Um, and, and when we hear it, sometimes it's intimidating to go, pray without ceasing, pray all the time. And really, when we look at prayer as something we have to do, it seems daunting, doesn't it? When we look at prayer as an obligation that we have in our Christian walk, we go, oh, pray without ceasing? Wow, that's a lot, right? But when we look at it in the context of relationship, it becomes something very different. It's not any big deal for me to talk to my wife throughout the day. We're texting, we're calling, hey, what are you doing here? We're going to lunch, what are you, you know, we're having conversations throughout the day. Even if your role is a little different, even if you're in a job where, where you can't talk to your wife throughout the day, I'm sure there are times that she's checking in, sending you an email, something, there's, there's a conversation going on. But let me make it even simpler. Um, if, you, if you have teenagers, does anybody have teenagers in your home? No? Some of you are like, thank God, I don't have teenagers in my home. Like, God delivered me from that. Okay. Um, I, I don't know if you're familiar with how often teenagers text. It is alarming how much they text. Some of you are public educators, so you see it in your classrooms. Like, there are going to be kids that are going to have to have cell phones surgically removed from their hands because they're this, and they don't even know how to talk. They don't know about eye contact because they're constantly doing this. But what they are doing is they're in perpetual communication with their friends, with the people around them. Now, we can get into the why it's healthy or unhealthy in that kind of way, but you understand the concept here. The concept is these kids are perpetually connected to the people around them. Now, it's not a very deep connection, but they're still connected. And I, I would even go so far as to say this. There aren't very many hours in the day that my wife and my girls are far from my thoughts. They're constantly right there on the back of my mind throughout my day. I find myself a lot of days thinking, I wonder what Abby's doing today. What, what period is she in? What's she doing? And, and as, she, as I do, I, I throw up a prayer. God bless her today. Make her an influencer in her school. God, help her to reach people for you. And I'll do that throughout my day. Now, this is the idea, though. If we look at prayer as a job, then it's a drudgery. And we go, oh, God, I can't do it. Pray without ceasing. But if we look at it and go, God, you know what? I, I get to know you, and I get to be in relationship with you. So why in the world would I not want to talk to you throughout my day and be in relationship with you just in your presence. 
Because prayer isn't just what you say, dear Jesus, to amen. Prayer is an attitude and an atmosphere, how we carry out our day. Yeah, I'll come back in just a second. In Psalm 105, verse 1 through 4, this is what it says. The psalmist says, Oh, give thanks to the Lord. Call upon his name. He says, call upon his name because there's relationship there. He, he knows his name, so he has the right to do that. See, I, I, could, I could call up Troy Palomalu if I wanted to. If I had his number, I could call him up. Hey, Troy, this is Mel Massingale. He'd say, who? Mel Massingale. Troy, this is Mel. I'm sorry, Mel, I don't, I don't know who you are, right? Because I don't have any authority to call on his name. I don't know him. I don't have a relationship. But we have authority to call on the name of Jesus. So when the psalmist says, call upon his name, it's saying we have authority to approach him. Call upon his name. Make known his deeds among his people. Sing to him. Sing praises to him. Tell of all of his wondrous works. Glory in his holy name. Let the hearts of those who seek the Lord rejoice. Did you hear what it said? Who seek the Lord We're not seeking what God can give us or or how he can help us. We're seeking the person of the Lord. We're seeking the relationship that comes in God and Jesus Christ. And it says in verse 4, seek the Lord and his strength. And you say, aha, see, you want his strength. But even when it says seek the Lord and his strength, what it's saying is understand who he is. Uh, Seek his strength in that you can know his strength because you know him. Strength is a characteristic of who God is. When we know God's strength, we know God. Does that make sense? It's not saying, I need God's strength, so I'm going to seek his strength. It's saying, I want to know everything about who God is, so part of that character is his strength and who he is. So seek the Lord in his strength. Seek his presence continually. Seek his presence continually. This is what pray without ceasing really means. It doesn't mean that we have to be praying all day and somebody comes to our cubicle, hey, uh, Larry, where's the Jensen file? You're like, I'm praying here. Like, can you back off, please? Like, they walk up, and you're praying out loud, and you know, kind of waiting. Have you ever been praying over a meal, and the waitress walks up, and then they have the awkward, like, do, do and they pray, or, you know, you don't know what they're doing? Like, you have that moment at your cubicle. That's not what we're talking about. What we're talking about is you being in the presence of God throughout your day, and you allowing yourself to be in the presence of God throughout your day, and that comes through prayer. That comes through you saying, God, I'm going to be in contact with you all day long. You're not going to be texting him, but spiritually you're going to be connected with him throughout your day. You're going to pray without ceasing. That that when something comes up, you're you're not going to go off 15 different ways and go, well, I guess I better pray about this. It's going to be your first response. You know what? I'm going to pray about this. I'm going to commit this to prayer right now. It doesn't have to look crazy or weird. Can I tell you this? I hesitate to say this because it's totally unsanctified, but the two places I pray the most are in my car and in my shower. <laughs> now, some of you are like, oh, good Lord. <laughs> it's not a crowbar big enough to get you know, the picture out of my mind. That's where I pray because I'm alone. Because I have time. I don't have anybody saying, hey, Daddy, I need your hand. Hey, honey, can you? I don't, Mel, I need this. Nothing. It's quiet. And I can spend time with God. Um, I, I can pray. I can pray. I can, um, just meditate on the Lord. I can think about what he's doing. I can give him, and it's not like I'm standing, you know, in my shower, like worshiping Lord. It's not like that. It's just, I'm talking to God. It doesn't have to be here at the front of this room kneeling. It doesn't have to be uh, by your bedside. It doesn't have to be anything like that. All it has to be is you in relationship with God. You saying, God, I want to talk to you. I want to get to know you. It doesn't have to be a formula. It doesn't have to look a certain way. If you need a guideline, go to Matthew chapter six. But where it starts is you just saying, God, I want to know you more. This is who I am. Help me know you. Something that simple. 
And this is my challenge to you. I challenged you last week to, to cut out some time in your schedule for Sabbath. But this is my challenge to you this week. I want every person in this room to commit to take five minutes every day. And maybe you are somebody who prays a lot already. That's great. Disregard the five minutes. Move on to something bigger. But if you're here and you don't consistently pray, I want to challenge you. Carve out five minutes out of your day. Intentional minutes that you're going to say, um, hey, I'm going to do this at the beginning of my day or I'm going to do this during my lunch hour. But I'm going to set aside some time and I'm just going to pray. And you don't have to fill up five minutes of talking to God. You can pray for a minute to God and then just sit quietly and let him speak to you. You can wait to hear what he has to say to you. Because I promise you, in the next seven days of taking five minutes a day, it's going to impact you. God's going to reveal himself to you. God's going to reveal some things about you to you. God's going to begin to work in you because it's not just about us punching our checklist and saying, okay, I prayed today, but it's about us saying, God, I want to be in relationship with you. I want to know you more. And as we do that, that's where we see prayers answered. That's where we see the blind's sight restored. That's where we see miracles happen. That's where we see incredible things happen. When we're praying from a relationship with God, instead of praying out of desperation, I want to challenge you. Get to know God this week by simply praying. And if you do, it's going to change your life. Um, now, I've heard people say before that, that prayer changes things, and it does. It absolutely changes things. Sometimes it changes your circumstances, but more often than not, it changes you, your heart. God might not change your circumstance. God might not give you the financial miracle you need, but he's going to change you to help you walk through that in a different way. God might not heal in the way that you want, but he's going to change your heart to let you walk through it in a way that's going to glorify him. I don't have all the answers here, but I can tell you that prayer does change things. But sometimes it doesn't change our circumstance. Sometimes it changes who we are. And usually that's for the better. Let's pray.